Hello, endurance lovers. Welcome to the Reinforced Running Podcast. Today, we have an awesome guest for you. His name is Josh Reedinger, aka Josh Reed. You might know him better as. And Josh, he is a coach, an elite OCR athlete. His background as an athlete is in extreme sports, more specifically, BMX racing and freestyle BMX. So this background has given him a unique skill set that he uses as an athlete to his advantage in the sport. And he's amassing some really awesome results, especially here in the the Northeast. So, and I think Josh is only one of like one or two people who has podiumed in Spartan events from State Ion to the 10K trail. I think he's only missing a 21K podium. uh, Then he'll have them all. So that's really tremendous range. And Josh is super smart, really well-read and is really great at breaking down things from a practical standpoint for the listener and also for the athletes that he uh, does coach. So his training is very thoughtful and he manages his endurance, his strength and his nutrition in a very cohesive manner. And he really has optimized his gains. And there's a ton of great takeaways here, including how to improve, improve your downhill running, you know, without just having to run downhill, how to train your body to use fat as fuel and how to use the cold to your advantage. So there's a lot of good stuff here. Josh, he's my absolute boy, and I think you'll like him very much. Um, so also, there, heads up, there is the episode does end uh, pretty abruptly around uh, an hour 20 here because, you know, the internet. But um, but it's great stuff up until then. So uh, please rate and review. Uh, you can do that right now. Leave a comment. That'd be super helpful for us. And of course, subscribe to get all the newest episodes right to your podcast feed and click the link in the show notes to check out our one-on-one coaching services for the runner and the OCR athlete to make 2020 your best year yet. All right. So here is my guy, Josh Reedinger. All right, welcome to the Reinforced Running Podcast. My name is Rich Ryan. I will be your host today. Today, we got Josh Reed. Josh, what's up, homie? That's, that, that is what's up. So, Josh, I brought you on here mainly. One of our previous guests is um, was Matt Kempson, and he had a question for me that was like, well, who is like your rival when it comes to OCR? And I, I didn't really have one off the top of my head, but I was like, you know, when, when Josh Reed shows up to races, like I, w- I like to beat him and, and we race each other pretty often. And then he proposed that we, that like I reach out to you and have a challenge that whoever wins like the most races has to refer to the other one as um, your, your majesty. Mm. And I really just wanted to bring you yeah. on to let you know that that will never happen, son. Bring that ain't gonna happen. It's gonna happen, man. That that's it all. So that's, good. Those words are gonna sound great leaving your mouth. They you ain't never gonna hear it after what I just said right there. <laughs> um, no, but really, man. Yeah, I really appreciate you having on. I do uh, love racing you, and I think maybe a little wager would be fun. Maybe not your, the Your Majesty thing, but maybe we could by the end of the episode we can kind of think of something where um, we have some sort of understanding of when we race. Maybe we can do it race by race. Um, Cause I don't know how much I'm going to see this year. You're going to be out on the mountains this year. I think I'm gonna stick to the mountains, man. Uh, I think uh, like traditionally I'm going to go to any of the close stadiums. Cause I just look at them as awesome, short, intense speed work. It's fun to see a different crowd, but, uh, but yeah, I'm going to focus on the mountain series this year. You're going to do the full series. I think so. Yeah. I mean, it's super convenient because uh, we have uh, Killington and Jersey, you know, they're, they're right next to me. So it kind of just makes sense. Palmerton. You haven't done Palmerton, have you? I, so I don't want to talk about it. Uh, in, yeah, in, 2017, talk about it. in 2017, when I started this, uh, this whole Spartan thing and I discovered like OCR, 
I, I had a race at Jersey and I did the competitive race and it was awesome. Uh, like I didn't do the elite wave. I just did competitive and I'm, that was like running. the beast in April. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm running through the mountains and, uh, having an awesome time, like first time doing a Spartan race. I'm like, this is the shit, man. And people are like, are you an ultra? Because apparently they had the ultra that day and, you know, yeah. the second lap was coming through, but I was just cooking it, you know, doing the competitive wave. I'm like, no, just get running. <laughs> and uh <laughs> and uh and at the end of the race i was like that was a lot of fun by the way did miss the spear because i'd never seen a spear throw before like javelin was not my shit in school uh and i did 30 of the most beautiful burpees you've ever seen in your life they were like perfect. no legs down just chest dude totally totally strict overhead full extension overhead Open like hips. plyo jump oh it was crazy <laughs> with smile on my face what an idiot took uh, like four minutes and you're like <laughs> roasted after exhausted yeah yeah i hobbled away uh, <laughs> so I was like, all right, that well, Palmerton. And so that went pretty well. So I'm like, okay, I got to sign up for something else. Uh, Palmerton was nearby. I go to that. I'm like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to go out. And, uh, I, I think I'm kind of skipping something here cause I did tuxedo, but, uh, I, anyways, I got to Palmerton and it was super hot and humid. And I just had like too much caffeine was too dehydrated, went out super hot and just like decided to walk halfway through like i was pulling on one because they're not even doing like the sled drags anymore i was at a sled drag it was stuck i'm like ah, it's stuck some other guy's like just go to a different one I'm like oh okay <laughs> go to the <laughs> other one pull that one across keep running and i'm like i'm just having a bad day so i started i just started walking and that's the only time i have ever i'm like i'm not gonna dnf but i'm definitely not racing anymore so I just, I just started walking and survival uh, mode that happens yeah yeah just walk a shame that was when it was an NBC race too, right? So there were like big dogs out at that one. Uh, oh, so I did the uh, I did the sprint on the. Sunday. Oh, okay, you went yeah. up on Sunday. Oh man, it smoked you like that. Well, that that first climb, literally, if you don't, if you're not at like seventy percent, if you're anything hot hotter than that off like the first like eight hundred meters, you could ruin your race there. And that seems to be what had happened, dude. I, it was hot. It was hot out. And it's hot. It's hot. real hot there. Yeah, really dude. He the past my thing. Yeah, the past two years have been we've been lucky because it hasn't been super humid, but because it can get real humid by us, you know. So it's it's really rough. Um, but anyway, we'll see you out there. We'll get into. I want to talk more about the schedule and where, where we can see you later. Um, later in the episode, but uh, right now I have some five random questions that I want to ask you. I'm calling it the rapport round. I think it's cute and I like alliteration. The rapport, Stephen Colbert, right there. Uh, the rapport. Rapport. Yeah, but oh. I guess is that what he means by that? I, I thought no it was just whatever. <laughs> um, but yeah, so as a kid, what was your favorite cartoon show? Oh, dude, Rocket Power. Wiggity, 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 wiggity. I've never seen Rocket Power. I don't know anything about ah, that. Shame on you. <laughs> dude, it's the best in the world, man. Auto, it's a bunch of kids living on a pier, just like shredding it on their skateboards and bikes and surfboards. Is there like a protagonist? Like, who is there a bad guy? Uh, Wow, I can't even. All I can remember is like the shredtacular stuff that happened in it. I feel like it was all like really low key <laughs> stuff. Like some kids are on the boardwalk and they want to like compete with a skate sesh. You know, <laughs> is, know like, is is shredtacular a word from that or is that a word from you? Uh that is that is from me. Right oh, that's now. you. I didn't know. I, I was they wondering shredded, if you, a rendition of shred. Yeah, I was wondering if you got that vernacular from Rocket Power or if that's just you're using your current lingo to describe something current in your past. Lingo. But I will say that like the whole woody woody thing, which you wouldn't understand, but I do that with all my friends. Man, don't understand. Yeah. I'm going to send you a link after this. Great. I will, sir. I will, I'll, I'll put it in the queue. Maybe I'll, I'll watch it at some point. <laughs> I'll let you know. Um, what is your biggest pet peeve? 
What's my biggest pet peeve? I, mm, that is a hard question. I'm going to go ahead and say that right now, it's dealing with a dog that I, <laughs> my girlfriend's going to laugh so hard when she listens to this. So we've been like taking care of other people's dogs. She likes dogs. I'm like, we have a house. So we're taking care of someone else's dog. And like, I'll be trying to like rest or meditate. And honestly, it's a good practice. Like this thing, will, this dog, this thing, this little creature will bark. I'm like, oh, what the hell? You know, like disturbing the peace. So right now, like that's my pet peeve, but trying to work through it, trying to deal with it. So are you guys like dog sitting for money or like dog sitting for fun? Are you like on Rover or something? Fun. Uh, so like part of the gig is this place that we rent is on this property. Our landlord, she has multiple houses and uh, like half the year we're watching her dog. Oh, that cool. dog's fantastic. Super well-behaved, fun dog, fucking awesome dog. Like you throw a hundred pound <laughs> log in the creek, that dog's jumping in, getting it, and bringing it to you with a smile on its face. What kind of dog? Is like a big retriever? Lab. Nice. Yellow lab. Yeah, super fun. But this other one, we're just watching it because our friend had a baby, and they had two dogs, and like the one dog got really jealous because now all of the attention's on the baby. So they just put the dog off on us to kind so of- So you got the bad the dog. Like, yeah, we, yeah. We, would do, we would keep this dog if it was a good dog, but it's not a very good dog. So could you guys take care of it? Well, the dog's like so easily influenced by the other one. Like the other dog will start barking and then this little thing starts yapping for no reason. It's like, oh, we're all barking now. Mm. So, so you don't like follower dogs. You you like you like alpha dogs, the pack leaders. Correct. You don't like these like follower dogs. That's a good correct. pet peeve. Literal pet peeve. Ah, <laughs> ah, oof, ah. Oof, we're off to a good start. Um, what is the next tattoo that you have in mind? Uh, the next tattoo that I have in mind is to finish my tattoos, bro. I have like uh, I got like three unfinished ones, mm. but I uh, uh, I got some like mushrooms on my leg. I have uh, a sun on my shoulder that the rays. My girlfriend thinks it's pretty cool because it's like my skin's the sun rays. But I'm gonna get like yellow, uh, put in there, and uh, yeah, get those things finished up, and then I will look to the next one. Okay, so you you have projects is it just a matter of completing all in one sitting or is it just like you're just um like waiting for the right time to get them done like what is the what's when are you getting them done part of it's financial because like they're big pieces so there's a lot of money that goes into it tattoos are crazy expensive they're expensive they're so expensive and then the second part is i'm like okay if i get a tattoo in summer it's not supposed to get sunlight i'm gonna sweat it's not good for the tattoo to like sweat and be exposed to sun but if i do it in winter i gotta wear clothing and it's gonna rub against it i just always have like a good reason why it's not gonna be a good time to get it because mm-hmm. i just have one little one and like they told me like to i forget i can't go in a pool Is right like that's camp? one thing it, it, it's like the equivalent of a male <laughs> tramp stamp it's like on my side and i got it like it's probably like a decade old now yeah at least over and um what is it it's just like it's my family's motto it's like written in old english like right down my side like real tiny um me and my brother got it at the same time as soon as he turned 18 he's like let's get this and i was like cool let's do it so there's like family cool, meaning behind it so i can't like so i don't hate it but it's like in a douchebag spot it was like and it was like before all the douchebags had it there but like dude but you like, don't have a tribal tat you don't have a tribal arm piece so i but it's like good but if i was like getting tattoos in the 90s i probably would have probably <laughs> it's just like it's like i was probably in definitely. that trend of where like it was like cool and then all these idiots got it and i was one of those idiots and i was like shit now i'm like i'm like i'm like that guy yeah the um, question is is would you have just gotten like a small band or would you've got like the full arm piece but it definitely oh would have been tribal either way tribal for sure back piece shoulder mm. to shoulder back tribal mm. Boom. yeah one time we we're at the shore, I think Ocean City, Maryland, and I, I wanted to get a henna tattoo like that. And my dad was like, absolutely not. I'm like, dude, you're, you're totally getting that tattoo on a boardwalk. 
Yeah. And I was like, I'm doing it. And my dad's like, no, you're not. And I was like, fine. <laughs> and he, he's lucky I didn't rebel and get it later. Stick Dad in my mind. So I'll show you. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, I pierced my own lip when I was like 15 or 16. My dad's like, oh, no, you don't. I'm like, oh, come on, dad. It's cool. He's like, I'm getting the pliers. I'm like, all right, I'm taking it out. You pierced it yourself? You psycho? Yeah. Did it get infected? No, dude. I got the immune system nice. with the champion, son. Strong. Strong. Cold exposure, which we'll also mm. talk about. Mm. Um, anyway. Next question. CBD or THC? <laughs> CBD. CBD first and foremost. Strong. Strong answer. Yeah, and I do want to dig, dive into that, too, because I know you're a proponent. You have um, – Someone of a sponsor that that like kind of reps you. So I'd love to talk about some CBD down the road. But CBD, yeah, man, seems to be a tool that uh, a lot of people have been using. So I'd love to get your um your your take on it on on why it's important for the athlete. Um, so who is a role model in your life that you have never met? A role model in my life that I've never met. Uh, unfortunately, that person no longer is on the planet. That's Uli Steck. Uh, he was uh, an incredible. I mean. The, the forefront of alpinism as a sport. I mean, this guy had speed records on the Iger, just an incredible uh, mountaineer athlete, uh, speed climber. Uh, he was great at both like rock climbing as well as like uh, a snow sport. And uh, unfortunately he passed away. I believe he fell into a crevasse on Everest while he was getting ready to uh, have a performance. I think he was going to go for the speed record on Everest. Uh, but that guy, man, just like Killian Jornet, is kind of like the the follow-up to him and a lot of that just has to do with i mean the 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 photographs that they take the things that they have to say their demeanor Uh, i think the thing that i like so much about uli is he just kind of got out there and did it he was super duper humble and just really enjoyed propelling his body through this world and like seeing what it could do and like really putting it to the extreme like as both with athletics uh, you know, like as far as what the body can handle strength wise, endurance wise, but also like the elements, you know, let's put, let's get really athletic on a rock wall covered in ice where there's extreme danger. And there's just like so many things to account for. So I just thought he was a general badass. Also, he was like a small dude, you know, he wasn't like some big tough guy. He was like this, this little like quiet kind of mousy guy that just shredded it. Nice. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm un, not unfamiliar. I'm not familiar. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's cool. And I'll, I'll look into that. That's, that's a really a good one. I like that a lot. Um, yeah, they, well, called cool, man. The, they called him the Swiss machine. Swiss machine. Okay, maybe I'll, yeah. I'll Google that because I'm not going to be able to spell that, um, his actual name. Uh, so, okay, you made it to the report round. Congrats. You're pretty good. You're strong. Um, so cool, man. Yeah, now let me know those five things about you. So what? Are, uh, so tell us a little bit about yourself as like an athlete, as a coach, a little bit about your background and kind of where you are at this point. So, uh, first and foremost, I am a uh, tiny cell in the body of humanity. Uh, but <laughs> on a more uh, re- uh, relevant level, right now in my life, I uh, I act as a coach and an athlete. You know, I'm trying to propel myself forward uh, in athletics and Spartan, especially because there's a. I really appreciate Spartan being there and what they what they're doing for the sport. You know, they're creating a path and uh, possible careers for people like you and I. So that's a fun thing to focus on in life right now. And, uh, you know, because that's helping me have a goal not only for performance, but for health. And uh, it's a cool community to interact with. And that kind of segues into coaching. I get to use myself as a guinea pig as well as uh, study and, and take in information and work with other people and help them kind of work towards similar goals, both uh, in performing well and just being like generally healthy. Mm-hmm. So acting as a coach, acting as an athlete, uh, 
living life as a you know a partner to my to my girlfriend and uh as far as getting here you know all previous things in my life that i'm still working with now and has actually been kind of a blessing in disguise have been dealing with things such as uh like not severe brain injury but mild moderate uh, traumatic brain injury and Lyme disease and that's where a lot of uh those kind of things kind of initiated my delving into certain health practices because first and foremost it was like health up here but mm-hmm. the mind the mind and the body do things together you know yeah, no, totally. And uh, it, it's good to get that kind of perspective because you do have a unique look at what it takes for performance and for overall wellness, right? Like you can tell just by like your approach for everything that it's not just about like, okay, sets and reps um, to get to this end result, that it is more of a holistic viewpoint and that this speaks to your experience as just like a human being, being able to kind of put that together. Um, and w- how did you get into OCR? Where, where did you come from? Like, What made you pursue this? <laughs> I. I'll, I'll try to wrap it up in a in a tight burrito here. Uh, so I, when I was younger, I always fooled around in school. Total ADHD, like didn't pay attention to much. Gym class, I was really good at taking advantage of when we had like a substitute teacher and would like climb up the basketball hoop, go up into the rafters, hang out up there until they oh noticed I was up God. there. And everyone's like, oh shit, man, Josh is up there. So I was always climbing stuff uh, and hopping around <laughs> and hiding, like jumping around. I. Uh, Part of it was definitely for attention, but it really was fun, you know? So that kind of transitioned into, uh, I raced BMX when I was younger. My parents did a great job at helping me Mm. uh, uh, chase that endeavor. So they bought me a BMX bike. I went and raced BMX for several years, which is, uh, I actually attribute uh, a lot of my, I think, uh, like like downhill running talent and just overall agility uh, to that. But, uh, But yeah did a lot of BMX, did a lot of messing around, like parkour, uh, you know, uh, go climb buildings. Oh, the cops are around, go hide on the roof, uh, kind of stuff. (laughs) That was super fun, but, uh, uh, kind of tangenting, but that was, that kind of got me into, I just enjoyed like exploring my, my physical body. Uh, I really enjoyed BMX because it was super exciting. Uh, it was kind of high risk, you know, do a 360 up staircase, jump up uh, out of this half pipe and do a 540, uh, pretty much like throw your bike around in the tail up and try to land on. And like, it hurt like a hell of a lot, you know, when you messed up. So, uh, so after getting hurt quite a few times, you know, we get older, like I said, I mean, I feel like, uh, I got a good immune system and I'm pretty strong, but the fact is injuries are injuries and, uh, and they kind of suck. So I started transitioning away from some of the more hardcore BMX stuff, realizing I was going to be a professional there. Like, by the way, have you seen the stuff that people are doing these days, like snowboard, skiing, motocross, like the level of extremeness, these sports are super extreme. Now people are doing quadruple backflips and whatnot. So I enjoy watching them. I'm not trying to be that anymore. Like I was, you know, 10 years ago. And, and that kind of goes into like what you said about your, the Swiss machine, some people that are pushing the boundaries. Right. And like, you, you, you can tell that that's part of you is like, okay, let's see like quadruple backflips, like that exploration Nuts. as to what the body can do. You can tell you just like gravitate toward that. Um, that's interesting about the BMX. Cause that, and I, it's, as soon as you said that, that's something that did ring in my head. It's like, oh, you smash downhills. And do, you do attribute that and like just the ability to go down and focus and 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 one, I guess, not be afraid to fall because you've probably fallen a million times, right? Is yeah. that something if you do like, what do you think the biking background has to do with how well you do downhills? 
So <laughs> the so the, like there were two parts to my BMX career, if you want to call it that. Uh, I raced BMX from the ages of nine to fourteen, and during those times, right, I was racing. And so you're, we're talking about a. Uh, about 150 meter track that winds and it has sections with jumps uh, sections with with roll there's rolling areas that are called the rhythm section and going through that to go through quickly you really have to do what's called pumping so the idea is to keep your torso in a straight line and move the bike underneath you so you're extending your legs and your arms down to go into the bottom of that rhythm section and as the bike comes up you kind of soak the bike up into your upper body and then push it back down so i think it did a lot one for like obviously strains and like full body uh, function, you know, it takes a lot of, mm. well, not a, a lot, but it takes coordination. You know, uh, if you have good fluidity and know how to move your body well through that space, you're going to get through quicker. You're going to be faster. You're going to save energy. And so I didn't even like think about that stuff when I was younger, but that's what I was doing. Uh, but anyways, it helped me to know how to move my body right through space. And at, at 14, I had a, I got a concussion and I messed up my shoulder, my collarbone, and I stopped racing and I saw someone do tricks on a bike and I was like, whoa, that's super cool. So then I got into freestyle BMX, which is riding your bike and no longer racing from point to point. Now you're doing, you know, 180s or you're jumping your bike up uh, from flat ground, which is super plyometric, right? Like pulling the bike up, throwing it up soaking it up with your legs and landing on top of the table and then again jumping off so uh that stuff requires your upper body and your lower body to work together things are happening very quickly uh it's very fluid and like the more you try to be there's a level of casualness to it i guess is what i'm trying to say you don't want to be too rigid mm. so there's this there's a special balance uh, i think a good uh way to explain it that more people might understand is if they slack line, you know, when you slack line, you don't want to be too loose, but if you're too rigid, the, you're not going to be able to maintain your balance. You're not gonna be able to make quick adjustments. So there's, I think the, the parallel between something like slack line or like skateboarding BMX and running downhill is there's, there's a level of rigidity and a level of, of, uh, of looseness. And so you're ready to make a snappy, a snappy movement, but also you're kind of moving with, you're letting your energy kind of flow. You're not trying to be too controlling. And I think something that's, uh, really important, and we can talk about this a little bit later, but that's core strength and how much your core plays a role in doing that. So it's like your core is tight. And that way, when it comes time to make a, a split decision, your upper body and your lower body can act together to make that movement because your core is ultimately what attaches right the upper body to the lower body and helps them transfer energy to make quick movements. And I mean, when we're, when we're, we're like sprinting downhill, you know, through the forest, like that's, that's what it's all about. You have to be really good at making those snappy, typically lateral movements, mm -hmm. you know? And if you're not able to do that, you're going to lack the confidence and you're going to fatigue and being rigid and trying to stop and switch your direction. Mm. So fluidity, the, the fluidity for sure. And like you mentioned, letting your body flow. And we've talked about this in the past, just like in our personal conversations, like the work of Mihai chick said Mihai. And what is the dude, uh, Kovner or no, the chasing, um, Superman. What is that book called that we talked about before? Uh, oh, shit. Chasing Superman. Was that the chasing the, fire the or catching well catching or stealing fire was Stephen Kotler and Jamie Will we were talking Kotler, about that's, that's it yeah that's yeah and talk, talk, the talk about um 
flow. And like, do you, do you, have you experienced that in, in these extreme sports? Cause those examples throughout the book is a lot of the extreme sports because it makes you, it puts you in a, in a space where you need to perform optimally. Um, at like a, a very rapid pace. Um, do you feel like that is something that you can tap into or do you feel that, or have you ever felt that before? The flow state all the time. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's beautiful. There have been definitely been races where I have not felt in flow state and there's a, it's really easy to tell. It's like, okay, I'm feeling rigid. I'm thinking about other things. And like, just from those two things alone, I can tell I'm definitely not in flow. Cause when you're in like real flow, you might have some thoughts, but you just, you still feel good. There's a, there's a lack of resistance, which I think is really important to being successful in like anything you're doing. Uh, but like a good example, and I probably trained my brain to get into this state unknowingly through something like BMX, because mm. when you, when you're coming up to say a table that's three feet high, uh, I know I got to jump onto it, but I'm not thinking about the mechanics of how to do it. Like I've already built up the ability to do it. It's like Bruce Lee says, uh, unconscious competence, you know, effortless mastery. It's like, you just do it. You don't really think about it, but you still, you still can't be distracted. So you hop up onto this table, you're on it for a split second, then, you know, do a 360 off of it and land. And it's in that, in like those, that two or three second period, there's no thought. It's like, I think another thing that's really important about it is I can already visualize everything that's going to happen before it happens. Hmm. And, but it's not, it's not on an intellectual level. It's, uh, it's like, I can, I can see it. And I just, it's almost like I'm following a ghost of myself. I can see myself doing it. And then I just follow suit right behind. And to me, that's kind of a flow, a flow state thing where you're not thinking about what you really have to do. Uh, you just kind of do it. And then when it's done, you're like, whoa, I just did that. And I think that for something that's more intense, like, uh, like say that BMX trick, where if you don't, if you mess up, the consequences suck, like concussions, broken bones, you know, smacking pavement, like that doesn't feel good. And there's pretty high repercussions for like sprinting downhill, you know, like you totally. can smack a tree or trip off yeah, yeah. and like, and that for sure sucks too. But the thing about that is it's a longer duration. Like it's definitely longer than three seconds. You know, I mean, do that. Uh, gosh, at, at New Jersey, we were probably had like a five to 10 minute downhill sprint and you guys had an awesome battle i wish i was a part of that right was it you frankie and uh and matt yeah you wish you were but you were ahead of us so you really don't wish you were so don't say <laughs> things you don't mean well i um, heard you guys screaming or something behind me so i'm like i gotta go yeah yeah it, like well yeah i was able to catch him on like the uphill and it was like kind of groomed and then it went downhill and i just like had to try to hang on but like frankie and, and matt just like went and um but like, yeah, like, yeah, like there's like longer so like for someone that might want to practice this, like you have an experience, right? Like you have this background that just seems to kind of translate. And like, obviously you've trained it. So you've gotten to the point that you recognize it. Do you feel like this is something that people can develop like later in life now? Like do you, if someone is like having tough time with downhills, like what would they do to help them with this? Mm -hmm. uh, I definitely think that people can, can learn that. I uh, because there's like the mental aspect and then there's the physical aspect. Uh, a lot of studies are showing that we can actually change like the levels of grain matter uh, and how our brain works and, and increase the malleability of our brain. Because as we get older, we are kind of like Play-Doh that's been left out of the can. You know, it gets a little stiffer and more difficult to mold into a certain thing. But you can kind of reverse that through practices like meditation or even getting into flow state. Uh, a cool thing, kind of referring back to uh, that book, Stealing Fire with uh, uh, Jamie, uh, we don't Stephen Kotler 
is they were talking about the parallels between someone doing an extreme sport like riding a big wave or being in the middle of a BMX trick and how their brain shows similar activity to someone that's praying or someone that's meditating. Mm -hmm. And what that all pointed to was they're getting into that similar flow state and something that happens in that state is there's an increase in gray matter. So anyone listening, meditate, get in a flow state, you're actually going to improve your brain's ability to learn new things, learn new habits, because we actually can unlearn things, which is some good for people that have, you know, a bad past or whatever. But uh, so for those that are a little bit older, don't feel uh, discouraged, you can still learn how to do stuff. Uh, anyways, as far as building like the physical ability to handle right because the question was how to get better at downhill for the most part yeah yeah so i think that the best thing you can possibly do is it really comes down to confidence and durability and really durability that's kind of my shtick when it comes to performance especially off the road uh but in talking more specific about downhill uh, something that I think that everybody should be doing is lots of core work. Cause like I said before, your upper body is attached to your lower body through your spine and your core is what, uh, your core muscles is what's controlling that spine movement. And when you're pounding downhill, there's lots of shock going from your lower body into your upper body and your core does a good job at stabilizing your pelvis. So if you have a strong core, that's going to help, uh, mitigate some fatigue that's happening well in the rest of your body. Um, also just having a stronger core and especially if you've done things that are proprioceptive for your core, slackline is a great example. Mm. You can, your brain's going to do a, a good job at making all those little micro movements to keep your center of balance uh, where it needs to be. So you can make those quick adjustments. Uh, now as far as training that goes, I think hopping around on one leg's great. Uh, that's again for durability. That's good for your hip. Uh, it's going to be good for your balance. Uh, there's, if you take part in a sport, actually, I was thinking about this earlier. Think about, I've met so many great soccer players that are fantastic runners. And uh, John John Lima is a good example of that, right? I think mm -hmm. he played a lot of soccer. Right. Uh, I think there's a correlation there because uh, there's lots of lateral movement and a lot of really quick reflex necessary to excel at that sport. So if we can... Uh, if, if we can kind of imitate that, emulate that through other things. I mean, if you if you want to get out and play, play some tennis or squash or racquetball, I think I think that's a good sport. It requires really quick reflex, typically a lot of lateral movement. If you're not into that kind of thing, uh, I think that slackline is good. I think that jumping around, something I like to have uh, clients do, I personally don't do it too much myself because I have other means of doing it. Uh, I guess I'll tell you what that is. So I live, I live on the East Coast. And I have the Catskill Mountains. And I love the mountains out here because they are difficult to run uh to to say the least they're they're not straightforward there's constant breakup in your stride length and your cadence and there's roots and rocks and they don't go in a straight line so you're constantly switching direction so as far as trying to to uh do something that demands quick reaction and involves a lot of lateral movement i'm getting it just by going into the mountains for people that don't have that immediately available, I think that something like a single leg lateral hop to balance is really great. I think that shuttle runs are really good, but keeping them a short length so you end up spending more time accelerating and decelerating and turning to the side rather than spending more time actually running in a straight line because you can just go outside and do sprints for that. So trying to get some, uh, some quick lateral movement, the more uh, reflex it requires and more randomness, I think that that's good. I think that doing some single leg hopping to balancing 
is great. That's nice and controlled. And then uh, supplementing some something more random like the racquetball or the squash or soccer, you know. All right. So, yeah, these things that you're mentioning are like really invaluable because it is with this sport and, you know, a lot of people coming at it like need to get better at running, need to get better at running. And these side to side things like in the reactive training is really important. That's like kind of a common theme that I've like come across with some of these high performers like yourself who may have come from a different background. It's that the actual reaction and being able to respond to this, like whatever comes in front of you really does help make the difference for performance. Uh, so I really like all these things. And I, that's one thing I've been trying to do is the single leg stuff and just being able to like the, the difference between my two sides is is immense, mm -hmm. you know, and these things that I wouldn't be able to tell just from, from running or doing squats or even lunges, you know, and without propelling myself off of one and landing on the same foot, like it really does kind of open up your eyes to things. So I love all those things. And I love the slack line because usually like when I look at a slack line, I take it for what it is like, okay, this will help my balance. And, but also like the reaction of it and how much you have to really stabilize, um, is a really cool way to, um, to, to incorporate that into training can you get all the way through a slack line i can and i i mean it, it all depends uh the more i do it the more i realize it's like a bicycle like you can get back on it maybe you'll fall off once and then your body kind of remembers how to do it uh i find that's really Got popular it. that people are doing they call it slack line but if there's no slack in it it's one of those tight lines it's like a typical ratchet strap <laughs> and you can bounce on it and do tricks and that's rad but i find yeah. more value in actual slack line where it's it's long enough or it's a thinner more uh dynamic webbing that when you wait put your weight into it actually sags down and then there's more side to side mm -hmm. movement and it demands a little bit more control and i think that once you get used to it it feels better there's more flow to it it's not so rigid that tight line it's very like back and forth very quick yeah. uh and i think there's value to that but i just like the feel personally of a more slacked line where you can really like get your body into a noodle and make big corrections and big swings. But, uh, but yeah, I can go forward and backwards uh, a few times. I have a, I have 150 foot rope uh, or line rather. It's designed for high line. Uh, I told myself I'm going to do a high line. It's on my uh, list of things to do this year. I had it on my list last year, do a, do a high line. And by that, I mean like stretch it up high enough where you need to wear a harness and harness into it because if you fall, you die. So that's on the, that's on the list because <laughs> that's difficult, man. Like, you know, if you're slackline a couple feet off the ground, you see the dirt, the grass, and like you feel pretty balanced and safe, but try doing it like over water or, or try doing it over something really high and you get so disoriented because you're, what you're looking at is either moving or it's so far away. It's just, it's again, it's another ad adaptation that I just have to do. Get used right. To and is that like, because when people say that's like the argument is like, well, it's the same thing, right? You're still walking across this right. it's all there. rope, it's no all matter there. if it's, it's all top, right? Yeah. It's, the, it's just the perception of it. Um, that's cool. I, I bought a slack line one time and it is a pain in the ass Dude. to set up. Like <laughs> if I'm not used to it. It, it is so are you Are you using it. a ratchet strap or are you doing like the old, uh, like carabiner pulley setup? No, no, it's a ratchet strap. So like it's easier from that <laughs> perspective, but just like getting it out and just like doing the whole deal. Luckily the gym I uh that just opened and then in like the neighborhood has one. So perfect. I'm just that'll I be stuck that. in the closet. I love how some rock gyms um, have one set up all the time and it's over the dude, uh, yeah, like the boulder mats. So you can eat shit and be all right. Yeah, it's great. Totally. Yeah, that is, is exactly what it is. But it's tight like you're you're talking about, but still right. impossible. Um so that'll be on on my list. So one thing that I do admire about uh, kind of where you are in your skill set is that you have a really 
tremendous range. Thanks, and like you've, you've podiumed at every Spartan. All right? except the 21K, which I have not raced in yet. The 21K trail race. Right. There's only right. so much time. <laughs> um, so what do you attribute to that? Like, so like your background isn't necessarily endurance, but like you have podiums at stadiums. You've done a high rocks event where you were top five. You've done top, top five at world's yep. toughest. These are races that are like 25 minutes to yeah. 24 hours. So what do you attribute to that? Like what, how can you span this and still perform well in all these different domains? I would have to say, well, I'd have to say, uh, so there's a few things. Why are you so awesome, Josh? <laughs> there's a few things I'd have to attribute it to. One, I got great genes. Thanks, Dad. Uh, I'm too. Uh, so I think that the reason I'm good at, say, long-distance events, one has to do with uh, durability. I used that word before, okay? Uh, durability is your ability to take on, this is my definition, it's not like a textbook definition, but when I think of durability, I think of the ability to take abuse and not be compromised. Uh, I've heard, I think I've heard you and others talk about it, like, uh, or I know I've heard Bracken talk about it, uh, compromised running, talking about something like High Rocks, something about something like a stadium, or really any obstacle course racing where you, you're running and then you do something that requires more muscle recruitment, maybe some awkward movements, and then you have to run again and try and do a good job at it. I I'm personally not as good of a runner as someone like you or Bracken, um, but I might have more durability. So I'm less compromised by something like a heavy sled push or, you know, a heavy lifter, um, you know, a bunch of Ram burpees. And I attribute that to really just being in the gym and doing heavy lifting. When I was younger, uh, in the, especially in the ages around like 22 to 25, I got really heavy into like deadlifting, uh, part of me wanted to be a bodybuilder, but not really, because I think that getting on stage and like flexing is kind of weird. Uh, <laughs> just do it. Just, you could do a physique, right? Totally, dude. Shorts. No, I want to show off these quads. I got to show off That's these you. legs. Yeah, man. True. You could do in legs, man. You want to, yeah, you're not just upper body, bro. You're out there doing deadlifts and squats. That me. That me. Get yeah. up there with a bikini. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fine. Uh, maybe, maybe that's it. Who, who, whoever loses the most this year has to do a bodybuilding dude, show. No, whoever loses has to do a race in a bikini. Oh, that's light work. You want it. <laughs> you know me too well already. Uh, that's like, you're I'll, like, I'll do it. But then, whoever, but, but then if I I'll win, I'll do it too. If I, if I lose. <laughs> oh, you're very particular. I'll just make like the most plain. It'd just be like blue. Oh, come on, You'd be dude. like, dude, this so lame. I don't even want to do it anymore. <laughs> I don't even want to do blue. <laughs> oh, okay, I like blue. But, uh, but yeah, so durability. Uh, I did a lot of like deadlifting. Uh, and this was really even before I got into the single leg work, which I think is super valuable. But there's a lot of value to just generally heavy lifting because Something that you can't really achieve with something like a single leg movement is the ability to move copious amounts of weight. And there's certain stimulus from moving totally. copious amounts of weight. So, and of course, doing it in a controlled manner, build up to it. But once you have the competence to do a lift well, I think that's important to get into it heavy, uh, such as a deadlift. And again, you don't have to do it often, but the thing that comes with something like a heavy deadlift is it is it's stressful. It stresses your nervous system, and that's why you shouldn't do it a lot but it's going to stimulate more like uh, testosterone, more growth hormone. It's going to stimulate greater bone density. And it's also going to stimulate more uh, muscle fiber recruitment, you know? So, uh, so I think that that's super duper important. I think that that's what's helped translate to, uh, again, my durability down the road. And the thing about durability is it's not just good for, you know, doing a short race where you 
might do like a sled push and then go run again, but over the, over long distance. So once I finally learned how to run decently, which uh, by the way, I didn't even like really start, I did cross country and some stuff, but I didn't really like start running until about 25 years old. So a few years ago or four mm-hmm. years ago. And the thing that's cool about all the lifting I did is I think that that helped, helped me run in endurance events. Well, because when you run and you're doing uh, now, I haven't really done a lot of road races, but when talking about like running on the trails, you, you have your prime movers, you have your main running muscles, right? Think that help propel you forward. And those are super duper important. However, when you start getting into terrain that demands a little bit of that side to side motion or a little bit of inconsistency in your step, you're requiring more muscle fiber engagement from like little stabilizing muscles per se. And other people might not have trained that whether it's because they didn't do trail running or it's because they didn't do something to stimulate that type of engagement. I think that a lot of the heavy lifting that I did caused more muscle engagement. And so when it came to events where those muscles were called upon over a long duration of time, I knew how to use them. My legs knew how to use them. So even though I wasn't as much of a talented runner, I just had stronger, more balanced musculature, uh, particularly I think in my hips that allowed me to continue to run and not fatigue because the thing is once you fatigue shit falls apart you know your form gets even worse and that makes you feel even worse you know the more you fatigue the more your form falls apart and the more your form it's it's just it's cyclical you know it gets worse and worse and worse and worse worse. it's not like oh you fatigue and now you run at this level it's like no now that your running is compromised and your form is messed up now you're putting more strain on these muscles and those are going to fatigue and and then it's just going to get worse until you have to walk you know for sure. For sure. And and what you said about lifting heavy and recruiting those muscles really will help with the endurance training because you do have the ability to, to call on those they are already active where a lot of times like running, it's not strenuous enough to do that. And then when those, once those fatigue, it's like game over, right? Cause you're just not, the other ones have not been trained because you're not engaging them enough. So I, I really like the lifting like heavy and what you said is important about the nervous system fatigue. Um, and that's why it's important to hit like those big sets or a big, big weight and short numbers, um, short rep ranges and resting, right? Because you will be shot and you will need to do it. So doing things yeah. like supersets, like heavy supersets, like they're helpful, but you won't be able to lift the second lift as much as, as you could because your nervous system will be shot. Yeah. Um, um, so I like, I was just going to say, I'm a, I'm a big proponent of quality. So rather than like going in and trying to do, you know, 40 reps of deadlift, <laughs> little dog over here instead of going in to do like 40 reps of deadlift and just try to like put out some numbers it's yeah it's like do do five reps to start out don't change the weight okay take a three four five minute rest uh maybe do some plyometrics in between just to kind of do you know stimulate your legs a little more and then go back and hit it again and maybe you'll do four reps you know uh don't try to go for that fifth rep if the quality of the rep isn't there right because we want to make sure we're building Mm -hmm. uh competence and like you want your body to know how to move well so don't do work for the sake of work do less work but make it of a higher quality and your body gets good at doing things well. So when it comes time to, when it comes like game time and you do start to fatigue, you can, your brain knows, your body knows, like I still know how to move well. And I think that when it gets, when it comes closer to like race season or a particular event, it's important to know what lots of fatigue feels like. But for the majority of your training, the majority of the season, I think that it's really important to knock it into those high levels of fatigue where your, where your form becomes compromised. Totally. And then you can only handle, uh, like 
your, your form gets compromised and especially something like deadlift where you can do a lot of weight with terrible yeah, form. It's dangerous. And like ah, if you start totally. which is super dangerous. I know it's like hard, it's hard to prescribe it unless you are like you've seen somebody move or like you are confident in their athletic yeah. ability because like you can really screw it up. Um so how do you how do you kind of like so you mentioned your, your your background as far as like just exercise itself is more on the strength side aside from like the extreme sports, how do you kind of split it now with your training? Do you feel like you're like the strength is, I mean, you already had the required strength, probably already stronger than need be. And for anything that's really required in, unfortunately, so like, do you still, yeah, like, right. So like, do you still spend time in there or how do you kind of split that between your endurance training? these uh, days? So I obviously spend a lot more time running now because that's where my, my personal weakest link is. So trying to build up, uh, uh, just always improving running mechanics, uh, improve running economy. I still do heavy lifting, not as much as I used to. Uh, but the cool thing about it is like, you don't need to do as much to maintain uh, something that I do a lot of now really is calisthenics and more stability work. Uh, I found that that's been doing me really well because the calisthenics are super easy to do. You can bust them out anywhere. And it's kind of like greasing the group. You just, you just uh, get a volume of that. You can do it any bit of time. Your body always knows how to move and you're like always ready. So when you're doing something like bar wire crawl, or if you end up having to do burpees or if you have to jump up onto a box, it's like, it's so second nature. You don't have to think about it. Uh, and those are really easy things to sprinkle mm. throughout the day. So I think that just general movement is really important. You know, uh, when it comes to, I actually wanted to go back, by the way, and talk about uh, endurance uh, and why I was good at endurance. If I, I'm just going to uh, do a little quick switch of topic. The another thing that is really important for something like endurance and why I think I did well on it is uh, nutritional strategy. For a really long time, mm-hmm. I've been partaking in. Uh, I've done like the ketogenic diet, and uh, I think there's a lot of value in that. And then after doing that for about a year, did like some low carbohydrate stuff, and then started getting into intermittent fasting. And what happens when you're doing that? is your body's getting really good at using fat. And I think that anybody listening to this has heard the term like hit the wall or bonk, right? And ultimately that's, you're running out of glycogen and your brain and your muscles do not have the energy to continue working at that workload. And so it has to decrease. If you can get better at sparing your glycogen and utilizing fatty acids at a certain effort level, you're going to be able to sustain that effort, that power output for a longer period of time. So like just do that eating strategy, I... I'm able to put off. I've never felt, I've never bonked. I've never bonked. The world's toughest mother, I had 2,000 calories, no bonk over 24 hours. Uh, so if you, uh, if you like employ that type of nutritional strategy, you'll find that you'll be able to go further without using up all that glycogen or having to take in, uh, you know, exogenous glucose uh, during the event. For sure. And like that, there's definitely value in becoming uh metabolically flexible right like being able to use carbohydrates and, and fat Dude, as i love that word source. metabolic flexibility like how, I love that word that's the word man that's the word um how how high of an effort level are you talking about like do you feel like you so is this hard this is hard to that's really, a really good question no effort, uh, effort level is a really without, good question without yeah. Right. Like, so without like lab testing, like you won't know when you are switching from fats to carbohydrates. Do you think, and like your anecdotal experience that you get, you can raise the level of effort that you can put out while running on fats? Or do you feel like say you're running threshold repeats, you're running six minute miles or whatever, um, 10 minutes at a time. Do you feel like 
through training and adaptation, you can run on fats at that level. Um, or, or what is your, well, your take so on that? just like the language you use, can you run on fats? The answer is yes. It's, but the matter is like the percentage, like what amount and like the lab testing would be right. awesome to see. So you might be at, uh, just for like a random number, you know, maybe you're at like 80% of your threshold and you're using, uh, you know, you say at that you're using like equally fats and, and glucose glycogen, right? Well, maybe if you at 80, yeah, yeah, yeah. and okay. told random numbers, I, I can't think of them off the top of my head. But, no, yeah, I got you. Yeah, so just, if you if you were to lower that effort by even maybe a little bit, maybe as soon as you go down in that threshold, your ability to utilize fatty acids over uh, glycogen increases drastically. And it's like, okay, then you can infer that's my money spot if I want to be able to uh, run for a long period of time. So there's this guy, Bobsy Bohar. He does a lot of uh, metabolic efficiency stuff. And he has done some interesting tests on himself where he he went and ran. And again, I can't remember the numbers precisely but he did uh, a vo2 max test did a mile test to see where the metabolic shift was and to see how fast of a mile he could run while being a predominant fat burner so he did this twice mm-hmm. uh with a couple weeks in between the first test he ate normal diet uh, i think somewhere around 250 grams 300 grams of carbs which like for still like triathletes it's pretty low carb uh but yeah. you know i think his mile time was somewhere around like seven minutes before and when he went faster then he got more into uh, glycogen then uh, a couple weeks later he ate low carb he ate i think 70 grams of carbohydrates each day for the course of that week so borderline ketogenic and then he went back into the lab and he was able to run i think a 550 before utilizing more glycogen so obviously the guy's already pretty fit right but I, I was curious what the implications of that test were and what that really means for the long run. So obviously he was using less glycogen for that mile, you know, uh, and utilizing more fat, but I'd like to see that over a broader scale. And I'd like to see other people do uh, a similar test and see what that, what that really means if you were to go, uh, go further. But what I infer from that is like, if you, if you employ a low carbohydrate strategy, you're going to spare glycogen you're going to be able to run further because we have man we got a lot of fat on us i mean even someone with a few percent body fat i mean if you do the math right there's nine calories to a gram of fat there's 28 grams in an ounce and there's 16 ounces in a pound man if you got a pound of fat you got four thousand calories available you know and you just got to get mm-hmm. good at utilizing it you just got to get good at utilizing it right because that would kind of be with that previous example like he just had less glycogen available right by the time he did this mile so that to me like the the common sense of that is like okay yeah he was able to run faster on fat because there was less glycogen available and then maybe that's some sort of adaptation that your body would go through um but that still wasn't his so like for endurance that makes sense but that still wasn't his like right right right? so it's like what is if you if he did that same test and he just went pure max like went to the maximal effort it'd be be super curious to assist yeah probably like 10 second sprint probably would be the same but like 800 meter mile time probably be less uh on the all fat right because that's way more glycolytic so Mm -hmm. uh so yeah obviously that that low fat strategy or that uh low carbohydrate strategy is uh better if you are focusing on endurance however i think it's still a good strategy to employ because you know, it's like, why do, why do we train? What are the, what are, what's, what are we trying to stimulate in our training? You know, say we go for a long run. What are we trying to do? We're not just 
spending time on feet. And it's like, oh, this is what I do to get faster. It's like, okay, let's think about what's happening while we're doing that. We're pumping blood. Uh, our body's trying to produce energy to to support the effort to keep us moving forward. And ultimately, if you don't have the mitochondria, you're going to end up using more uh, more glycogen, and there's going to be more happening outside the mitochondria, which is not a sustainable, which isn't sustainable. You want more ATP to be created in the mitochondria and ideally using more fatty acids. So if you can, if you can build more mitochondria, ultimately you're going to have general higher output at any level, at, at any speed. So an easy way to stimulate more mitochondrial biogenesis has been shown to simply do easy runs. And I mean, Mm -hmm. High-intensity interval training absolutely does it too, but a less stressful way to do it is to employ one of those low-carbohydrate eating strategies so that you just generally have less glycogen. Because say you go out for a long run, uh, I'm not sure how long, quite long it would take, but let's say say you have a, a carbohydrate-rich breakfast and you're going out for like a 90-minute run. You might have ample glycogen stores for say 45 minutes to an hour. You know, some 40 minutes is when people typically take in nutrition during a race. And it's at that point that your body says, oh, we don't have any more glycogen. We don't have any more glucose really right here. Uh, now we got to start burning more fatty acids. And that has to take place in the mitochondria. And the cool thing is, is that particular production of ATP, you're not producing as much waste product like lactate, right? So if you went into that run already in a glycogen depleted state, you're going to spend more time using fatty acids, putting more demand for mitochondria. So it's a way to get like a little more bang for your buck, go and do runs, uh, exercise in a lower carbohydrate state. <clears throat> and it, you know, there's, cause again, it's a training run, you know, you're trying to stimulate certain, <clears throat> certain things to happen. You're not trying to go and just like make yourself feel good about hitting certain numbers. It's like, put the numbers to the side and think about the purpose of what you're really trying to do. Cause, uh, I like the way Andy Galpin puts it. He says, you know, you're either adapting or you're optimizing. Uh, you know, if you want to adapt, put those numbers to the side. And I mean, talking about endurance and, uh, and like cardiovascular abilities and whatnot, let's, uh, let's do that low carb strategy. Let's have some slow runs. Let's build mitochondria. And then when we want to optimize our performance, we'll start taking in glucose. We'll start adding other, other energy sources, which will allow us to go faster. Yeah, for sure. And that, like, that's kind of like, so, so sort of my understanding of this is that, you know, mostly the mitochondria, they're, they're found in slow twitch muscle fibers, right? Much more than mm -hmm. fast twitch and which also run a little bit more efficiently when you are in that, that fat burning zone, you're going to almost primarily going to be using these slow twitch muscle oh, fibers. Oh yeah, by the way. So like, here's it sounds, here's the, this is Char Char Bink. There's the dog. Little oh, guy. Hi. <laughs> I like him. I like that guy. He's an alien. He's an alien. <laughs> um, um, so like, it sounds, so to me, this is like more of a good tool and it's almost like a fail safe, right? Like if you're eating low carb, you're also like, you won't just have that availability to you. But like, if you just train in a specific zone, you would still get the same kind of benefits, right? Like you said, like the purpose of the run, like needing to be easy, like you could still get those mitochondrial, mitochondrial, uh, benefits of a slow run. If you stay easy right? Like it doesn't necessarily have to be because of your low carb diet, but if you don't have, but you will be much less likely to move into like that fast twitch muscle fiber. If you were, um, 
in a low carb diet? Like, does that make sense? How I'm kind of phrasing that? You think that would be uh, more difficult to get into fast twitch uh, activity on a low carb diet? Mm-hmm. Yes, I do. And like, and that's kind, and that that's kind of like how. So it's like you can still get the benefits of a low carb diet through training, through appropriate training, but like it doesn't have. Like it's like just lowers your chances of of uh, of going hard uh, or of like getting into that um, anaerobic state. I guess you would say because it's just it's just not there. Like you're like the example you used of the guy with because there wasn't as much availability for him in the carbohydrates to get to that five fifty mile as opposed to the seven where it crosses that threshold of like aerobic versus anaerobic. Like that makes sense to me. Um, and and yeah, I, I, I like I guess what I'm saying like it that you still can't get the benefits of the endurance training. So like when he was doing that, when he was crossing the, like the, the two different miles, was he then inferring that he could then run at a faster pace for longer or that he would get the same benefits of a seven minute mile as it would as a five fifty? Uh, like what was, I think the... his goal of that was to show that through a lower carbohydrate tactic, you can't uh, have the ability to run faster with less gl- uh, glycogen dependence, which would mean you'd be able to uh, withstand that power up for longer without producing be able to byproduct. spare it. Cool. And so you'd be able, yeah, you'd be able to, yeah, you'd be able to spare it a little bit longer. So yeah, you still didn't have those levels more like probably reserved. not be what it could be. You know, like if he, again, if he went for his fastest mile, but he wasn't going for his fastest mile. I think he was uh, going for, you know, a mile that was sustainable, a pace that was sustainable for a while. So on, on my end, like I, I've tried the low carb, um, ketogenic and, and high carb, and I'm kind of on the opposite end of you. I find I, I perform much better with carbohydrates. Um, it just makes me feel better. makes me recover better. The recovery is huge for me on, on that end, but like also when I'm doing the higher end work, like I will, um, I like to do intervals, I like to do fast, faster paced things. Um, so do you adjust this strategy based on an event or, uh, based on what workouts you're going to do. Like if you were going to do like a high rocks workout, you know, like you're doing thrusters with a barbell, like as many as you can, like, will you adjust totally. the nutrition based yeah. on uh, what you're doing or do you, or, or are you kind of like, Hey, I'm going to try to keep low carb and see how high I can raise this fat burning ceiling. Uh, or w- where does that kind of, yeah, so it's pretty dope. So I spend most of my time uh, focusing on, I mean, so it's really interesting uh, is you, by the way, you can be eating 200 grams of carbs a day. And depending on the timing of those carbohydrates, you can pretty much be ketogenic. Totally. And how you hard know? you're working. Yeah. 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 So I mean, gosh, some of these athletes that are taking in like uh, three, 400 grams of carbs, I mean, it's more than I would, but there's just such, there's so much output, you know, they're doing so much work that it's all, it's all getting used and they're still tapping into their fat stores. No doubt about it. Uh, the cool thing about uh, about certain adaptations is some happen a lot quicker. Like my, building mitochondria takes a little while, but uh, like upregulating glucose transporters uh, and like your uh, ability to buffer lactate, like those are adaptations that can happen a lot quicker. Uh, I believe those can happen over the course of a few weeks. So what I personally have been doing, and it has been working for me, is coming up to an event like say uh, say High Rocks is coming up, right? Say up until four weeks before I'm just going to do quality work. It's going to be lots of aerobic. My sprints are going to be short lived. It's mostly going to be like phosphate creatine, you know, 10 second stuff, not getting too super glycolytic. Uh, and then four weeks out or so I'll start taking more carbohydrates. I'll start spending more time doing longer intervals, producing more lactate and, uh, and relying more on glycogen and starting to stimulate those adaptations. 
Mm. And that, that seems to work really well. Nice. As, as yeah. opposed to having like an eight to 12 week, like what would be the, the downside to having like a 12 week threshold, uh, phase in there is just because like you, you is it just more than you need to put stress on your body so like the more you can kind of optimize and make it like, i can get the same ad- adaptations in four weeks then why would i make it be 12 uh so that's definitely part of the reason is like i think that i'm getting really good adaptations in a short amount of time uh i i definitely do think i'm playing on the conservative side uh because i'm going for like that longevity game uh, i'm not trying to you know uh do 12 weeks super hard and like peak for this one event uh i'm building up into it and i mean high rocks is just like a an interesting example because of where it lies in the season sure but i mean say it was my a race if it was my a race i still probably wouldn't start my really intense build up until about eight weeks out and that's simply what's really worked for me so ultimately some people need some different stimulus right uh, some people need to do like speed work more often. Like if you're more fast twitch compared to slow twitch, right? You're going to like detrain more and you just need to do more speed work to, uh, to build those gains and maintain those gains. I, uh, I'm very slow twitch. I'm not really good at a lot of fast stuff. So when I do a speed workout, I am able to maintain that speed and like feelings of power. Uh, you know, if I'm doing it only like once or twice a week. So a build for me might look really different from you. You might do a lot of threshold stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, maybe you're 80% aerobic for most of like your off season, you know, like that 80, 20 easy numbers. Right. And then maybe you're more like switch. Maybe you switch those numbers. I still am more like 60, 40, even when I'm doing the most intensity. Got it. Got it. And that makes sense. And that, that is a really good, solid strategy uh, for someone like you and who's played around and has found that what is going to work and like the results show, right? Like you, you're coming without an, an endurance background essentially, and have figured out a way to, to maximize your performance in the best way possible. And it's, and it's definitely proving to be really valuable for you. So like, I love that you're willing to explore. Um, yeah, dude, it seems to be working really well. Uh, so a couple years ago, I ended up uh, coming into, uh, uh, I learned about this thing called Primal Endurance, Primal Blueprint. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, a couple of these triathletes put this thing together. They started working with a bunch of scientists and they're like, hey, we've been training all wrong for all these years. Like Mark Sist and uh, Brad Kearns, like great triathletes and runners back in uh, like 80s, 90s. It's awesome. You look at pictures of them and everything's like neon. They're wearing Speedos during their run. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. That was the thing, dude. We're bringing it back. Speedos, bringing it back. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but they realized like, okay, there's a different way to train to get really good gains because right, we want to get the most out of like the most gains out of the least amount of work it's like i like my time my time is valuable right i want to be able to just like kind of relax and not worry about training all the time so i've kind of been the guinea pig there's a lot of science behind it but it really goes against the norm uh in the athletic community which is like do lots of really hard work and like hard work super important you know and maybe we just have different uh some people have different definitions of hard but in my i'm a certified primal health coach and in that in my learnings there that's the kind of the some of the fundamental rules are spend a lot of time moving at a slow pace mm-hmm. lift heavy shit once in a while and sprint once in a while and you know there's other important things sleep vitamin d get all that good stuff and then when you get into a more specific sport because that's kind of like for general health like optimal gene expression uh hormones and stuff and then when you get into a sport like what we're doing you got to understand the uh the demands of that sport, like, you know, you're going to produce more lactate, right? Cause you're working really hard over an extended period of time. So just like low key work and just sprints aren't going to cut it. 
you got to introduce some of that like longer interval stuff, which is why I will do that leading up in like two weeks before. But for the most part, but for the most part, there's a big separation. There's not a lot of time spent in that like no man's land where, mm. uh, you know, for, for me, it's like around 160 beats per minute for my heart rate. You know, for most of my aerobic runs, I want to hang out like 120 to 145, which by the way, I hate it when I see you on Strava and I see you run six minute miles at a heart rate of like 120. Heart rate Jeez. low, bro. Low heart oh, rate. That's dope. <laughs> that's super dope. But uh, but yeah, it's just that it's just that strategy of putting in slightly less stressful work mm. and uh, and making little adjustments to like optimize those adaptations. So again, it's like with those easy runs, um, just going into them maybe fasted or lower carbohydrate. And since it's not like an intense run, you're not producing a lot of cortisol. Since there's not a lot of demand for glycogen, your body's not stressing out, searching for energy. So it's just uh, it's just a different method of uh, trying to obtain these similar results. Totally. And it makes total sense. Like the, the emphasis that's put on recovery and purpose, right. And not just working hard for the sake of working hard and like putting a grind on. And I'm sure triathletes back in eighties, nineties. And I know that like, I don't know much about triathlon, but I know that there has been much more of a uh, focus on quality work, right? Like they only get a couple shots at all our stuff. So I'm sure these dudes were fucking just ripping it all the time. And they're probably like, that was crazy. Like, what were we thinking? Like, we don't need to do that. And we can adjust our nutrition based off of our output. Um, it takes some planning. Do, do, do you find it hard to plan around that? Or how do you like, you know, it, uh, uh, I used to, uh, cause I, uh, but you know, it's like after a while you just kind of build these habits, you know, if, uh, if I want you just know. to know, yeah, like I'm sure you've done it too. Like, you, you, Oh, I wonder how much I'm eating. I wonder what my macros look like. And so you download my fitness pal and you put stuff in it for, you know, maybe a few weeks, but like if your diet doesn't have a whole lot of variety, I mean, even if it does, you just kind of get an understanding. It's like, Oh, this piece of meat looks like it's four ounces. That's probably right. like 25 grams of protein. Like you just start to know, know about it, know, you know how to calculate and get a good idea of where you're at. But, uh, but, habits just get built like breakfast isn't a concept to me like coffee mate uh you know i i'm a lunch and dinner kind of guy so at first it was kind of weird but now it's just super convenient and it's just a habit i don't think about it and it's like that's a really simple lifestyle practice that i participate in that the science shows has a lot and like through uh you know through my uh, my actions yeah and practical like experience too yeah and yeah, it's evidence see that it's, yeah it works it's working Totally, man. And that's something that is a, is a key takeaway that you should try these things. Like people that are listening need to explore these different areas of training and like nutrition is part of that. Right. And like figuring out what's going to work best for you. And just like, like you said, just log and see what's going on. I find that a really valuable practice just to see where you are. Like, it's like, oh my God, I'm only eating 60 grams of protein at any specific day. Like, not 80% of my macros are carbohydrates. Like, you know, you Dude. might, it, it would, it, it probably would happen. So 100%. being able to just kind of look at the grand scope of things and even just like calorically, it's like, oh, wow, I'm eating a thousand calories less than I should. Um, or like where you should be based on your training. Like it's a good, it's a really strong practice. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. I think that people that if they started logging, uh, logging their food, maybe they'd see, yeah. Oh, I'm taking in a thousand calories too little. Oh, I'm not recovering well. Ooh, maybe I'm getting injuries. Like, uh, I didn't realize food. how much calories were in peanut butter, <laughs> stuff like that. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, eat, like eating enough is super important. Uh, getting enough rest, all of those like recovery uh, uh, methods, because if uh, I mean if you're not recovering, you're gonna be more prone to injury. That's gonna pull you out of your training, and you're not gonna get as much out of your training. 
For sure, man. So what else have you been on lately? Like, um, how, how much time you got? What do you got? Uh, we're going to go hit the ski mountain in a little bit, but I say let's go for another 15. Cool. Um, yeah. so what else is new? What else have you been on? on Cause I know you are kind of on, you are ex like you'd like to explore and see what else is out there. Like you like to test, you like to see what is new and you want to be, uh, like you want to try it. You want to go find it for yourself. Much like the, uh, Swiss machine, you do that for training. So like what, what do you, what have you been on lately? Man, as far as like, uh, I haven't been trying out a whole lot of like really new stuff, but I've been kind of, uh, pairing other things. So like something I'm really big on is like breathing practices, uh, cold thermogenesis, heat. So, uh, like also, uh, I'll touch on like cold, right? So cold exposure, uh, or cold thermogenesis, you, you expose your body to cold. And there's certain things that occur, right? It's like, why do people take ice baths? You know, some people take ice baths after an event to reduce inflammation, right? And by the way, anyone listening, I think ice baths are fantastic, but don't take them unless like you're doing important events back-to-back days. Uh, don't take that ice bath right after your event because like inflammation is an important process. It helps. It'll you know, cut down on adaptation. Yeah, totally. Uh, which is great if you're like trying to lift a bunch of weight, but don't want to experience hypertrophy, you know, you can kind of want muscle growth. <laughs> yeah, you know, I guess. Right yeah, totally. Yeah. I, but yeah, like, so I like to take a cold shower in the morning. Um, or just like get some sort of cold exposure. I do that most days a week. I'm not gonna lie. I don't do it like every single day, but like minimum four days a week. And, uh, it helps jumpstart your day. It uh, helps you produce a little bit of cortisol, which is really important for, uh, you know, for anyone that is having like issues with sleep or your circadian rhythm. Maybe you, or having difficulty going to bed early. Like you wake up late and you just can't fix the schedule. It's like, yo, wake up early, take a cold shower. You're going to produce more cortisol and that's going to help get your circadian rhythm shifted that way. Cause your cortisol and like melatonin are released at certain periods through the day. And if you don't produce cortisol early enough in the morning, it's going to be produced throughout longer in the day. And then when it comes like dark out, you're not going to be producing melatonin because cortisol wants that. So a uh, shower, like a cold shower early in the morning is a good way to keep like your circadian rhythm on track and like, um, even like pr- improve hormones. Granted, you're not already in adrenal fatigue cause you don't want to produce too much cortisol if you're already hella stressed uh, mm-hmm. or sick or anything. But the cold is a good way to like reduce inflammation. Uh, it helps improve your, uh, your lipid metabolism. According to a lot of studies, there's other studies that say, eh, not so much, but I'm going to be honest. If I take showers, like cold showers every day for a few weeks, I feel more shredded. Yeah. That means like lipid metabolism, just fat, fat, burn. fat, fat, burn that fat baby. Yeah. Uh, and also you produce more nepa- uh, norepinephrine, which is a neurotransmitter and a hormone helps improve your mood, helps you improve energy. Totally, man. Who doesn't want to feel good? Like a cold shower might suck for three, four minutes, but like play a song, you know, power when, through and you're going to get out. You get like, out, man. Yeah. It's the bomb. It feels you know, awesome when you get out. You're going to feel so good. And by the way, uh, like Lake Tahoe or like cold ass races, you know, when you experience something like that, you just feel tougher. Like you I, do. I know exactly what this feels like. Oh, my limbs are tingling, but like, I'm totally good. I'll be good. I, <laughs> I, I just moved into like an apartment complex and when I lived in some brownstones that was like old, old piping or whatever, the water would get so cold. But now that I'm in this complex, like it doesn't get cold anymore. I'm so sorry. It, it is like a bummer. <laughs> I was just uh, visiting some family and they were just out in like the burbs somewhere in like New England. And oh my God, the water was cold. But yeah, like miss being able to take because I'm on the same boat. Like, and I feel the same way. Like, even if it doesn't get all of like what the benefits that 
you know, you know more fat burning or, or more feel goods or whatever. It does just make you feel tougher. It's like, all right, I have an edge on, I have an edge on this day. I've already done something that's hard and we're through it. So, um, but I like the, yeah. I, I love the idea. So cold shower in the morning for sure. If you haven't tried it, try it. Dude, definitely try it. Don't be a bitch. Uh, and if it makes you feel a little bit better to get a little heat in there, there's actually a lot of benefits to that. So like the idea of the cold showers make you cold uh, and your body has to warm itself, like raise its own uh, core temperature. But if you want to get a little heat in there, you can do contrast or go back and forth between cold and hot. And that's going to improve your uh, your ability to vasodilate and vasoconstrict. And that's your blood vessels opening up and constricting because like all your blood vessels are pretty much little muscles. So that's going to improve circulation. So that's pretty rad. Get a little heat in there. Uh, and then heat. Uh, you don't have to do it too much in summertime because you get really hot like through your training and whatnot. But this thing happens when you raise your core body temperature where you produce more white blood cells. Uh, again, you also produce more norepinephrine. And if you are – I'll be careful saying this. I don't recommend that people go get like super dehydrated. But there is, it is shown that if like you are dehydrated and your core temperature raises, there's going to be a stimulation – for you to produce more blood plasma because you yeah. don't have a lot of water in you and there was and subsequently you produce more red blood cells and what does that mean that's like legal blood doping right? yeah we had we had a guest on earlier who was who like knew how to like look at blood panels and he said that like like your hematocrit levels would raise being at altitude but also through things like sauna or being dehydrated like yeah it's definitely a dangerous line to toe <laughs> but like you can like <laughs> kind of hack it a little bit yeah but, but again at the very least like <laughs> yeah an idiot but like if you want to go in a sauna and just like stay in there generally until you're uncomfortable uh like i don't know you probably listen to Rhonda patrick oh uh, here and there yeah yeah yeah, so she she was talking about how if you stay in there long enough to be uncomfortable, you've probably stimulated the release of heat shock proteins, which just helps with uh, like muscle repair and mm. helps mitigate uh, uh, muscle degeneration. So anybody out there, if you're like if you're injured or have or like not feeling good to train, like going into sauna is a great way to slow down any losses, any fitness losses. Also, it's just good to sweat and get that skin like you know freshened out. Yeah, in the wintertime, it's nice. Super nice. Yeah. Uh, another thing that I, I really enjoy, man, do you do any, do you meditate? Do you like do any breathing exercises? What oh, yeah. do you do? Yeah, I do. Uh, I'm on a little bit of a meditation streak right now. It's great. I just do like 10 minutes in the morning. I also do, uh, the past two days, I've done some of the Wim Hof stuff, um, yeah, which I really, really enjoy. Uh, when I can get into that practice and make that a habit, like I, I really enjoy it. Just based, again, same thing, just like based on my mood, how it makes me feel just in that moment and like after is like a real, um, real pick me up. And, and you, you explore that kind of stuff too, right? You practice um, some of those breathing techniques. Dude, I think that Wim Hof is awesome. I, I just posted a video on my uh, Instagram just touching on it. Like, because the like breathing and cold, they kind of go together with this guy. And uh, Wim's kind of a, a crazy dude, but like the science is, seems pretty legit behind it. And like, if you do it yourself, you'll feel really good. Um, yeah, these breathing exercises, some of the benefits that I like from them one is like the energizing effect. Like, you produce a little bit of uh, even adrenaline. And there's another chemical that it produced that's like similar maybe it's noradrenaline but uh it strengthens your immune system helps you like fight off uh you know any attackers in your body women some people did a study where they were injected with like some neurotoxin and were able to fight it off just like, like doing the, breathing exercises they were able yeah they were able to tap into their immune system right and like kind of yeah. direct it which is crazy pretty badass pretty bad <laughs> totally so uh and also the the act of breathing and this kind of 
the, this is where it partners really well with the cold. Uh, and if anyone wants to like feel really confident in being able to control themselves out in the cold, that deep breathing, the production of adrenaline, as well as the hard working of like your diaphragmatic muscles and your intercostal muscles, like that all produces heat. So if you're ever like really cold, just breathe intentionally, deeply. It's not only going to help you produce like happy brain chemicals, but it is going to help you uh, actually produce some warmth. And I like to do this. Here's my little secret, everybody. Okay. Before a race, I do these breathing exercises and I do a big breath hold. And what that kind of does is it kind of stretches out all of the muscles. Cause ultimately when you're in a race, some of your limitators are, uh, are going to be obviously like mitochondrial adaptations, cardiovascular system, but like you need to take an oxygen. And if you can increase your lung uh, capacity by even like a few percent, you're going to be able to get a little more oxygen into your lungs. And you'll also be able to exhale perhaps a little bit more carbon dioxide. I haven't seen studies on this. Okay. This is what I'm inferring. Uh, but I feel like it helps me a lot. I just feel like uh, when I take a big breath hold, I'm able to stretch out uh, kind of like my, my collarbone, scalenes, my intercostals, my diaphragm. I just feel like I can take a bigger breath and I'm not struggling as much for air while I'm running. So I don't know, try it yourself. <laughs> well, okay. That is how we are going to end things today. Sorry for the abrupt ending. Uh, Josh, I think lives in like the woods, like cabin. I'm surprised he has internet uh, up where that wild man lives. So uh, awesome info. Really happy that you guys tuned in. I think you get a lot of great takeaways. So I just wanted to say thanks. 